Stories. Everybody's got them, and we can learn from each other. History can be traced through letters and writings, but the one thing that has remained throughout the generations is the oral tradition. Oral history is one attempt to pass along the stories, tales, musings, and remembrances of one family for the benefit of listeners for generations to come. Join us now for this episode of Oral History with Jeff Zulkowski. Thank you so much for joining us for episode 23 of Oral History. Tonight's episode, or today's episode, whenever you happen to be listening to this, is going to be called Darkness, and I'll explain in a minute, but first I wanted to just make one quick correction from episode 22. I mentioned that Cuyahoga Valley Church in CVC Years Part 2 had a service on Friday nights at 5.30. That's actually a Saturday night service, It not of any particular consequence, but I just wanted to make sure I clarify that. And I wanted to also introduce you to one term. We talked last time about changing tires on the bus as it was rolling down the road. There was one other concept that I put a term to at CVC, and it was a term that I called licking the forks. Licking the forks was uh, a principle behind uh, just getting everything set up for a particular event or a weekend or something of that nature and having someone walk in and change things. The the principle behind licking the forks kind of goes back to formal dinner parties. If you've ever been to a formal dinner party where you have an entire spread of dinner plate, salad plate, dessert plate, and you have multiple forks, you have a salad fork and a regular fork and a dessert fork and a butter knife and a regular knife and a coffee spoon, and everything's laid out in perfect order. Everything has a place on the table. The principle behind licking the forks was no matter how beautiful everything looks and everything being in its place, you would have no idea if someone had walked in at some point prior to the event and licked your fork and put it back in the same place. And the same was true in my years at CVC because oftentimes things would get set up, everything was ready to go for a particular event, and then something would change and things would just kind of fall apart. And this has relevance in what I want to share with you tonight. My tenure at CVC was 14 years, and it kind of came to a crashing end, and it's why I want to call this episode Darkness, because it was one of the most dark times in my life. But I also want to share with you, from my own history, I was born in 1965, and, and that year, a, a version of a song by Simon and Garfunkel was released called The Sounds of Silence, or The Sound of Silence. And the first line in that song says, Hello, darkness, my old friend, I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping, and the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. That issue of darkness is what brings us to our time together now. And I want to talk to you, and I'm going to be really raw with you about one of the darkest periods in my life. And it was a time that, as I mentioned before, brought my tenure at CVC to an end. And it wasn't a bad thing. Um, the outcome was exactly what God wanted. The Where I ended up was exactly where God wanted me to be. But the difficulties of the time were uh, a bit of darkness. So we really have to dial back to uh, Christmas of 2017. Um, two particular weeks for me 
and you can go back and listen to part two of the CVC years and understand that I was under the impression that if I didn't do everything perfectly and I didn't take my team through doing everything perfectly, then I had failed and God couldn't move. I was putting a lot of pressure on myself. I was taking on a lot of pressure that wasn't mine to take on. And in particular, I was putting God in a really small box. I mentioned that. But what I didn't mention is that the two weeks out of the year where that was the most heavy on me was the week before Christmas and the week before Easter. Those are two weekends, whenever they happen to occur, Christmas moving around and Easter moving around, um, but at least being on a Sunday always, that week before was a tremendous amount of preparation, a tremendous amount of getting things ready. And if you're anything like me, you also have what's called the knight in shining armor syndrome. You want to as a people pleaser, you want to have people think, man, you did a great job. You you really pulled this out. So we go back to the week of Christmas of 2017 at CBC, and, and I was in full uh, Sunday Jeff mode for the week prior. And we got into the weekend services, the Christmas services, and at CBC, attendance would almost double over what we normally had. We would have around 1,500 for a weekend for multiple services, and all of a sudden over more services, but at a greater amount of time, we would also have close to 3,000 people coming. So the pressure was even greater for me to make sure everything was perfect in my own mind, make sure my team was perfect, make sure the equipment was perfect. And we entered that 2017 Christmas not expecting the numbers that we had. It was one of the biggest weekends we had ever seen at CVC. In fact, during the last service on Sunday morning or on, yeah, it was a Sunday morning if I remember correctly, that last service we had so many people that they had filled the worship center they had gone to our overflow room, which was a, a, a single room down the hallway to the left of our worship center. They had filled that. A number of people had ended up in our lower level watching because I had, through the technology that we had implemented with the with the HD switcher we'd put in, we were able to put visuals out over our internet over our internal network actually and put it on screens downstairs through a pc and then beyond that we had people watching the stream a few seconds delayed in several offices through the building and the outcome of that week was people coming up to me and just congratulating me for pulling rabbit after rabbit after rabbit out of the hat to accommodate the people that we had and my internal pride began to swell. It's like, well, I'm not sure there's anything I can't do in in this realm of technology. And God kind of saw that in me and saw where he wanted to take me, and he began to really put a damper on that. And it came through difficulties within our IT department. I, at one time, was in charge of our IT department and was no longer. It had been handed off to a project manager and another gentleman that they brought in, and and they were in charge. And our relationship was 
okay, but a little bit adversarial at times because they would move in a particular direction with something that affected what we did in in worship arts and in technical arts specifically. And I would do things and had done things over that calendar year, specifically adding TVs to every classroom and developing a way to put curriculum, video curriculum into every classroom over the network that we had just developed kind of an adversarial relationship and over the first few months of 2018, after this high point of Christmas, things began to fail and fail on a pretty regular basis. In fact, there were a couple of weeks where our streaming of the services on Sunday mornings just failed completely because of internal and external problems. And it was really creating some strife in my life to try to figure those things out and to try to work with this team that I had once guided but was now not no longer in charge of. And there was just things that I couldn't handle and I couldn't find the answers. And we approached Easter that year of 2018. And I recall a couple of things happening. I had moved into it. I had planned. I, I had things on my agenda. I knew how I was going to approach that week. I Coming off of Easter, I felt like even with the difficulties we'd had, we were going to move pretty solidly into Easter. And I walked in on a Tuesday morning. I took Mondays off then, and I still do. But I took Monday off and came in on a Tuesday morning ready to hit the ground running and really get moving toward the Easter services. And one of the big things was we were going to need to depend upon the infrastructure that we'd built within technical arts for getting the overflow into a room down the hallway from the worship center. And I walked in and I asked my supervisor at the time, the worship pastor, Nate Green, I said, so I understand we have a choir at Easter. Where's the choir going to be? And he said that they were going to be in this room where I thought we were having the overflow. And I said, well, that's not possible because that's where overflow is at. And Nate said, no, we moved overflow to the basement because of all that we did at Christmas, everything's going to work fine, right? And I said, no, what worked well at Christmas isn't working well at all now because of the in the difficulties we've had over the past few months. So we've got to put the overflow group back on this main floor and not rely upon the lower level. And he said, well, I think you need to go talk to the executive team. The executive team at CVC was our lead pastor and our two executive pastors of ministries. And they happened to be in a meeting that morning. And I stomped down the hallway and I burst into that meeting. And I asked them when they had planned to tell me. Now, these are my boss's bosses. Okay. And I had, I asked them when they were going to tell me that they had moved overflow to the basement and they they were all looking at me like it's going to be fine right we did it at christmas i'm like no you have no idea the difficulties we've encountered over the past few months it's not going to work in the basement we've got to do it in the room down the hall because we have infrastructure built to do that and they were very gracious to me despite my anger and frustration i should have noticed that something was not quite right with me then but i continued on through that day well, the question was asked, can we make it right? 
the executive team asked me, can we make it right? Can we? Can you get together with the IT team and make it right so we can move into the weekend and use the lower level for overflow? And I said, well, I'd have to put up a, put a meeting together with them. I don't have a whole lot of margin, but I'll see what I can do. And I went back to my office and I was sitting in my office and a, another group was meeting another group of ministry people was meeting across the hallway in my friend Josh's office and they were getting ready for their week and they're part of small groups and I heard Josh say something to the effect that Easter is just really easy for him because he doesn't have to preach and he doesn't like there's not a lot of preparation and he was about halfway through saying that when I stuck my head into that room and said you did not just say this was going to be an easy week and kind of let my frustration boil over again. Again, another warning sign that maybe something was roiling within me that I should be dealing with, and I didn't. So I talked to the IT team and moved into Wednesday afternoon and evening, had a meeting set up Wednesday afternoon with a young man who was in charge of the network in the building named David. And David and I met, and. I was trying to make my point that something was wrong. I didn't believe it was anything that I had done on my side, and he didn't believe it was anything they had done on their side, on the IT side, but I was convinced that the problem lie at least more with them than with me. And I was at a point in my discussion with him where I was yelling I'm in the lower level of, of our church. Men are wandering into the building for men's ministry, which meets on that night. And I'm yelling at David. And David, at one point in our conversation, revealed something very difficult that was going on in his own personal life that he needed to go deal with. And I couldn't even come out of my sheer frustration and anger to minister to him in the midst of what was going on. And I walked away that night just angry and perplexed, but at least I knew that there was this backup plan of what we had set up for Overflow to be available on this main floor. And so I I went home and I kind of processed this a little bit. I now had three outbursts of kind of increasing difficulty and increasing flaming um, happen over a three-day period, and I really should have known that something was going on in me, but I didn't recognize it. And so I went to bed that night. I woke up the next morning, and I got to church, and I, I determined that I was going to get everything set up just the way it would be for the service and make sure everything's working. And I opened the door to that room for our overflow and nothing was going into that room. None of the feed from the worship center was going in there and I couldn't figure out why. And I walked back into the worship center and I opened the back of one of our cabinets and David had taken a piece of gear of mine and had pushed it off of a shelf in the cabinet and placed a piece of his gear in its place that broke what I had going on. And when I say that broke, what really broke was me. I lost my mind. I don't have any other way of putting it. I had I had a nervous breakdown. I, some people would call it that. Some people would refer it 
to it colloquially as losing your stuff or you fill in the blank. But I, I was done. And my wife happened to be on the platform of the church practicing music with our worship assistant, Kevin, and my friend Jeff was in the booth running sound for this Good Friday rehearsal. And I found myself, I wandered down to the main floor and I was standing in the back of the worship center, worship center pounding on a chair, screaming, I can't do this anymore. I can't not do this anymore. And I walked out of the building despite protests from multiple people. And I went and got in my car and I turned north on I-77 out of our church parking lot. And my destination, at least in my brain, was a Red Robin restaurant and bar, two exits north, and I was gonna go and start drinking. And I don't drink. I mean, I'll occasionally have a beer. Um, I've occasionally had a margarita. I've never been drunk in my life. I've never drunk into excess to the point where I lost my ability to know what's going on. And I was gonna go drink. Well, I didn't make it quite to Red Robin. Something in my spirit caught me and I ended up at a McDonald's next door, uh, sitting in the upstairs of this two-story McDonald's. There aren't that many, but this one has two stories. And I was drinking iced tea and just trying to process what was going on in my heart and in my head. And, and I was broken and I had multiple texts coming from my wife and multiple phone calls from my wife and texts from my assistant, Melissa, and from my worship leader, my boss, Nate, and from my friend, Jeff Taylor, and everybody was concerned. They had never seen that part of me. They had never seen me that fractured, and they knew something was going on. And they begged me routinely to come back, including David, the gentleman from our IT department, he said, I'll come back and I will, if I have to spend all night there, I'll make this better. I'll make this, I'll put this back and we'll make sure that everything works. And I struggled. I struggled very much to even go back. But I finally relented and I drove back to the church. I drove to a two exits south again and I pulled in. And I was at a point, at that point in the day, where I really couldn't relate to anybody I could answer yes and no questions, but I didn't have anything to offer. I didn't have an explanation. I didn't have uh, apologies. I didn't have anything that I could offer. I could barely relate to anyone. And I watched things kind of play out in front of me and I just kept gravitating toward my office and sitting in my office by myself, trying to figure out exactly what was going on in my heart and my head. And Melissa, my assistant, walked in at one point. She sat down on the little love seat in my office, and she looked at me, and she said, you need to go home. And it was the first time I could put a sentence together, but I finally said, that's all I've been asking, and that's all I've been waiting for somebody to do is send me home. So I disappeared out of the back of the church, made sure my wife understood that I was okay, and I drove home. And again, got on I-77, headed north toward Cleveland, and drove past the exit, that second exit. And there's a, a small period of time where you're changing from I-77 going north to 480 going west. 
in order to get on our home. And it's just this arced part of the highway where you go under one part and over another part. And it was in that short period of time, maybe 30 seconds on my way home, that I contemplated suicide. I thought about steering my car into something. And I knew that wasn't the right response. And I knew that wasn't anything that God was telling me. And I did my best to put that out of my mind. And I did. And drove the rest of the way home and came home and kind of parked in a reclining chair and just sat. No TV, my dog on my lap, and not much thought going on because I was just broken. I was in a period of darkness that I had never encountered before. And it was this culmination that I've mentioned in the last episode and as I've shared here of this perfectionism that had built within me that I brought people along with and I had hurt people with and I had definitely hurt myself with. And this seeking to be not only perfect, but to be the knight in shining armor that always pulled the next rabbit out of the hat. And it just all came crashing down. And I was where Simon and Garfunkel talked about. Hello, darkness, my old friend. And I didn't know what to do. My wife encouraged me immediately to make sure I saw my doctor, make sure there wasn't anything physically wrong. So I saw my doctor. My doctor talked about the anxiety that I was feeling and the depression that I was beginning to feel, and they immediately put me on a low dose of a, of a prescription antidepressant, um, said the anxiety was something that had kind of come and gone by that time, but they, they would treat both with this antidepressant. So I started taking an antidepressant, to which I, I still take to this day. But I also started seeing a counselor, and I was relieved of my duties from CVC. They did Easter without me. They, they did Good Friday without me. They did the better part of April of 2018 without me. Um, Melissa stepped up tremendously to, to put herself in a position to do anything that was necessary to care for me. So did my wife. So did Nate. And, um, and I started seeing a counselor. And this counselor, his name is Mike. I'd, I'd seen him before when my wife had had some difficulties in a relationship years before. And I went back to see him. And one of the things that he told me is that when you have a breakdown like I had, it's trauma. It's trauma to your body, just like a broken leg or a broken arm is trauma to your body. But with a broken leg and a broken arm, everybody can kind of look at you and see, well, he's wearing a cast or his arm's in a sling. And I know what that's like. I've broken ribs before and had arms in slings and things of that nature. So, But in the case of a fracture within your brain, nobody really knows what's going on. They don't know Honestly, I don't think most people know how to handle it because they've not been through it and they don't know how to respond. And one of the other things that Mike told me is that in order for me to kind of get through this, I was more than likely going to have to change my job description. He said that people who go through this kind of trauma and go through a fracture like I had had of my psyche, of my emotions and my will and my thought processes that 
people who go through that typically don't just return to their job that had created the stress in the first place. They have to change their job description. And as I moved through April and into May, that thought was in my head. And I began to talk to my supervisor, Nate, about it. I began to explain to them that I still was not ready to come back and put myself in that position. So it was agreed through May I would come back and I would be present, but not necessarily doing technical arts. I would be working in the foyer. I would be engaging with people. I could teach class here and there. Um, I'd be kind of eased into the culture again. But it was being communicated to me that eventually the goal would be to get me back in the seat, get back on the, the horse, get back in the saddle. You're going to do technical arts again. And I knew in my heart that that was not possible. And so as we rolled through May and part of June, I began to make it known that I did not want to go back to doing technical arts and I needed to find something else. And I proposed to my executive pastor an idea that I had of a position within CVC, a, a, a place that I saw a hole had developed in, in our staffing. And I said, I'd be willing to do that and have more pastoral responsibility and more care responsibility, but not do technical arts. I said, and if, if, if you as an executive team determine that that's possible, then let's go that direction. I'd be happy for that. And, and it would be to the benefit of the church. But if you don't see your way clear to doing that, then God's got something for me. And a couple of weeks went by my wife and I were preparing to leave for a weekend around 4th of July to go back to Indiana to visit her parents for a week, actually, for a family reunion. And the executive pastor walked into my office and he sat down and he looked very somber and he looked across at me and he said, Jeff, we just, we don't have a position that's not technical arts for you. He said, um, would it, would it, we'll move forward with you if you want to take a look somewhere else but we're going to if you do then we're going to have to look for your successor and i think he was really surprised by my response because my response was almost a jubilant excellent that's exactly what i needed to hear i needed to hear that my time doing this was done because i knew god had something else for me so i approached the latter part of 2018 seeking jobs, um, seeking jobs in Cleveland, outside of Cleveland, in Indiana, where my in-laws were at, so my wife and I could care for my in-laws, in Colorado, where my birth family is at, um, on and on, anywhere, Columbus, where we would be close to my daughter's birth family. And in all of this, we were approaching the end of 2018 without any prospect of a job. But I had an end date. The first couple of weeks of January, I was gone. And in the meantime, CVC had hired my successor, and I'd begun to train my successor. And we moved past January, and I quit going day-to-day -day at CVC. They were gracious enough to give me kind of a severance package, which was really all of my accrued vacation time and sick time, which paid me through the middle of March. 
And then we were without a paycheck, but I knew God had a plan for me, despite the fact that churches that I was applying at were just not calling me back, just would ghost me after a period of time, after having me meet with teams and uh, talking to me about meeting with the pastor, and all of a sudden everything would just dry up. And when I look back on all of that, I know it was God just shutting door after door after door because he knew where he wanted to take me. And where he wanted to take me was Refuge Community Church. And I want to share all of that with you as well, um, my time at Refuge, which is still ongoing, and, and the glory of what God's doing and has done in my life, the healing that's taken place in my heart, the change in who I am and how I approach ministry, but it's going to be at another time. It's going to have to be at another time because we're running out of time today. But with this issue of darkness, I just want to spend a few minutes talking to you because some of you that are listening have been exactly where I'm at. My wife found herself in 2007 exactly where I was at Easter of 2018. So I had seen it before, and I had walked through that with her, and I had cared for her through that. And I watched God move mightily in her life and through our marriage and through our ministry, even in the midst of her quitting a job that was half of our income. I watched God move powerfully. And so I knew when I left CBC that God would show up miraculously. I just didn't know in what form or how it was going to happen, but I knew I knew in my heart God was going to show up miraculously. And that's what I want to encourage some of you. If you've been there and you've watched God move, praise him for it. If you if you were there and you didn't recognize at the time what God was doing, look back on it with fresh eyes and see what it was that he was accomplishing because he allows things to come into our lives to refine us, to make us more like Jesus, and specifically so that he can gain the glory and we can be used of him to share this with others. It's exactly why I'm sharing this with you today. God just wants the glory in those situations. So take a look back and look with fresh eyes and see how God moved. If you're in the midst of darkness, if you're in the midst of it right now and you cannot see your way clear, and I understand that very, very vividly because of where I was at sitting in a rocking chair at home, not able to communicate with anybody for almost a month, I know what that's like. But know that God is working in that and he will bring you through it and he will use you in the future to help others who are going to go through it. It's just how he works. He loves us enough that he allows these things into our lives. I hear a, a, a portion of scripture very often misquoted I hear people say all the time, I see it on Facebook all the time, well, God won't give me more than I can handle. Yes, he will. And I pause specifically for that to settle. God will give you more than you can handle. He did for me, but he won't give you more than he can handle. And if you just surrender your life to him and allow him to work in those circumstances, in those moments of darkness where you can't see the next step, 
you 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 the the darkness is palpable it feels like it's closing in on you seek god in those moments and watch him use this to refine you to change you to make you more like christ and to give you hope and to give you a, a an opportunity to be used of him to share this with others so that they can see that there's hope in that darkness now all of this presupposes that you know christ if you don't know christ you're without hope you don't have this pressing in of god and this changing and refining that's going on because you've not yet surrendered your life to him so that's the obvious first step if you don't know christ today is the day of your salvation give your life to him and let him take you through whatever it is whatever that darkness is in your life let him carry you through it and he will bring you through and he will use you to bring glory and honor to himself and to use that for your good and for others good if you know Christ, I've already spoken to you, and you've been through this, and you celebrate what God did, then great, tell somebody about it. If you've gone through this and you didn't see, and you didn't recognize what God was taking you through, then look at it with fresh eyes and see God answering prayers and moving in your life during that time. And if you're in the midst of it, and you know Christ, Press into him with all that you have and all that you are because he will carry you through and he will take care of the things that are dark. So let me pray for you as we close our time together today. We'll talk about the refugees uh, in a couple of episodes and I'll share with you just how God has redeemed this darkness, this time of darkness in my life, and how he's accomplished great and mighty things. So let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you so much for our time together today. I thank you for those who choose to listen. They don't have to. Um, I thank you for my family that listens. I thank you specifically for my daughter for whom this podcast is made, that she would listen, that she would share it with others. And Father, I pray that you would just give us eyes to see as you move, even in the midst of tremendous darkness in our lives. Father, be glorified as we hold on to you and we grasp for you like the ultimate life preserver in the midst of swirling darkness, Lord. Only through you can we survive. And so we give our lives to you. Use us to bring glory and honor to yourself. Use us to bring blessing to others. And use us in the midst of whatever we might be going through. We commit our lives to you. I commit the people who are hearing this for the very first time that would surrender their lives to you. Draw them to yourself. Open their eyes and their ears. Melt their hearts and change their lives. And use them to your honor and glory. I love you. And I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us today. In a couple of episodes, we'll pick up on this idea of the refugees, and I'll share with you all that God has been doing over the last three years with me. Next time, I've got something else kind of in mind, and we'll, we'll pick up on that in two weeks. But thank you so much. If you want to visit aural-history.com, A-U-R-A-L-history.com. You can listen to all the podcasts. You can connect and subscribe to any 
a podcast platform there. You can become part of our Patreon support. You can message me, take care of all of those things there. We appreciate you so much. Thank you for being with us tonight. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Aural History. This has been a production of Z Media and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. Join us again next time.